0: Thank you for tuning in to the sermon webcast of Living Savior. We are one church serving in two locations, Asheville and Hendersonville, North Carolina. For more information, go to lsavior.org. Do you believe in love at first sight? If you do, you're in the majority. One recent survey reports that 56% of Americans believe in love at first sight Another survey is even stronger in that direction. It says 62% of women believe in it, 71% of men believe it, and then it zeroes in on age groups, and get this one, of women between the age of 18 and 29, 90% say they believe in love at first sight. which explains why it's always interesting to ask a a couple not only how they met, but what their first impressions were of one another, which explains why certain romantic movies are going to rake in millions of dollars at the box office, which even explains why some of us might have been watching the first episode of The Bachelorette this past Monday night. Now, if, if I... If I kind of broke you out into groups, I think it would take your group about 60 seconds to determine that love at first sight is not really the best kind of love. For one thing, it, it doesn't handle reality very well. In fact, it, it doesn't cope with reality at all. On the other hand, 1 Corinthians 13, love, The love of which we just read is not only real. What we're going to find out today is that it's to some extent enchanting. It's humbling in a way that we really need. It's awesome and it's quite practical. So you and I today get to look at um, this chapter 1 Corinthians 13 and the love that that it brings out in a way that we recognize it's not just a love we want to look at at first sight, but we want to see it at second sight and then at third and maybe especially give it a good look at fourth sight. 1 Corinthians 13 You find the words of 1 Corinthians 13 on Valentine's Day cards. You find 1 Corinthians 13 emblazoned on banners and in churches. 1 Corinthians 13 is by far the most popular passage that's requested as a a reading at weddings. And why not? Who would not want to hear on their wedding day, that love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. Words that go well with a wedding dress and a tux and a bouquet of roses and a string quartet. Love does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrong. Who, who's going to argue with that as the groom is, is looking into the, into the eyes of his beloved and promising to love her for as long as he lives? It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always persevere. What couple on their perfect wedding day is not what, going to want to hear about perfect love? At first sight, 1 Corinthians 13, love is kind of enchanting. But when the string quartet has put their instruments in the SUV and headed home, when the, the tux has been returned to the rental agency and the wedding dress has been stored away in a box, when the honeymoon is over and the, the, the first big disagreement has been followed by the second and the fifth and the tenth, when the the faults of husband and wife have been exposed to one another, then 1 Corinthians 13 reflects kind of a dismal reality. Love is patient. Oh, how I wish my love were always patient, including in in regard to the one that I want to love the most. Love is kind. Maybe to strangers it is or the acquaintance that lives down the street, but to my, to my children, to my parents, to my spouse, not always so. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. At the perfect wedding, of course, the couple is is not going to do that, and they're not going to think that way. But in a real life relationship, in a real life household, in a real life family, that sort of love seems quite impossible. And it's not just husbands and wives it's pretty much everybody else. Anybody can say, I think I'm a loving person. I think I'm a loving person until I catch myself uttering rude words about the bad behavior of somebody else. I think I'm a loving person until I find myself getting very upset about a driver on the highway or the incompetence, uh, incompetence of one of my co-workers, or, or the rudeness of somebody else in a, in a restaurant as I observe that. I think I'm a loving person until my love kind of loses energy and I almost want to give up. Love does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrong. Suddenly, my love doesn't look so good. Maybe yours doesn't look so good either. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. You take this beautiful passage and you hold it up like a mirror and you realize it's not always my love. Not always mine. Not even not even close. Look, like, look at that passage first at a wedding. It looks wonderful and enchanting. Look at it in, in, the, in the cold reality of everyday life and it mirrors something that we wish could be but often is not. But what if you and I were to set the mirror down and look at love in a completely different way and give our attention first to somebody else. The Apostle Paul prefaces this chapter by writing, and now I will show you a most excellent way. So I ask you, what way is more excellent than the way of the Father who loved us And gave his son to be the atoning sacrifice for all those sins that we've seen in the mirror. I'll ask you again, what love, what's a more excellent way than the love of the God who so loved the world that he gave his one and only son unto death for us and then raised him again to life for us. God is love. You know that passage first Corinthians chapter 4, God is love. That's the most excellent way and that's really a third way to look at this passage that's that's rather awesome. Jesus was once discussing the scriptures with others and he said these are the scriptures that testify about me. Jesus love is patient. He endured the insults and the mockery of others without retaliating. Jesus' love is is kind, always has been. It's, It's merciful even to those who have been unkind. Jesus' love is, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. He humbled himself even to a slave's death so that he might ransom you and me and set us free it's almost like this whole chapter first corinthians 13 is is at third glance it's about the love of god and the love of christ his love does not dishonor others it is not self-seeking it is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Does that sound like the psalmist? Maybe you've heard the words from Psalm, 113, Psalm 130. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, oh, Lord, who could stand? But with you, Lord, there is forgiveness so that we can serve you without fear. Jesus and his love does not tabulate all of your jealousies. He doesn't keep track of all those unkind things you thought about somebody else. He he doesn't keep a record of, of any of your wrongs. In fact, you know what your baptism means. It means that all those wrongs have been washed away. And you come forward for the supper and you receive in his body and blood the forgiveness for all those failures to love, and, 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 and so do I. Take a long look at the written record, 1 Corinthians 13, at a lifetime lived in love, a death died in love, a resurrection that took place out of love for you. Look at all of his promises to love. And realize that's Jesus. He does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. He always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. At third glance with the Heavenly Father and Jesus, his son in mind, 1 Corinthians 13, love is awesome. Which means you and I could stop looking at the passage right there and have ourselves a wonderful day. But the apostle actually doesn't let us. The way he frames this chapter, the way he writes us, is the way he frames and writes the whole letter. Where the letter is actually, to a significant extent, about us. About The church, which is the body of Christ. You remember that imagery? The apostle writes about it here and elsewhere that Jesus Christ is the head. He decides, he directs, he guides, and the church is his body carrying out his will and reflecting him. So the church glorifies the one, That Christ, who is the head, the church honors him and serves him. And each member of the church, we honor and serve and love one another. In fact, the head, who is Jesus, by his spirit, gives gifts to the members of his body to do that very thing. So Paul, in this chapter, he writes about how in the first century, in the first century, some members of the body were given the gift of tongues or languages. Pentecost Sunday, for instance, occurred elsewhere as well, that they were given the gift as the gospel went to every nation, they could speak a known language, without previously having studied it or learned it, the gift of tongues. Some then and many now have been given the gift of prophecy, which is to speak the truth of God, to preach it, to teach it, to say it clearly on the basis of what the Holy Spirit has revealed for us, for instance, in the scriptures. Some have the gift of knowledge. They know, the, they know the word and the ways of God backwards and forward. Some have been given the gift of charity, where they give generously and without being afraid. Some have the, the, the gift of faith, extraordinary faith, where when others are giving into doubt and fear, They remain strong encouragers to to stay on the foundation of the word. As the apostle writes it, these wonderful gifts are not given to every member of the body, but they are given to the members of the body, and you and I thank the Lord for them in our midst. But compared to the love of Christ, which is in us, compared to the gift of love that comes by the Holy Spirit, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clashing cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I'm nothing. If I gain all I possess to the poor, give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. The comparison is obvious. There is nothing greater for the community in which you live than that you love your friends truly and that you even love your enemies. There's, there's nothing more of a blessing to the church than that you love the fellow members of your church and, and care about them and serve them in love. There's nothing better for your household than that you love your children and your grandchildren and your parents and your grandparents. And there is nothing higher for your household than that you love your spouse. The Apostle writes, eagerly desire the greater gifts. And as he ranks them all, what he's saying is eagerly desire especially the gift of love. You know what it looks like. You've seen it. You've seen it in the, in, in the Christian coworker who genuinely cares about you. Who it really matters to you how, how you're doing who puts up with your mistakes very patiently and helps you. You, You've you've seen what that looks like. So pray for that measure of love for your own heart. You've seen that kind of love in the relative of yours who never spoke an unkind word about anybody, who lifts the mood of, of the room every time he enters the room. Who has a kindness to him that she'll never forget. You won't be jealous of that, of course, but Paul's encouragement is you ask the Lord to give you by his Spirit the same type of love for you and and in you. You've seen that love in your spouse when your spouse does not hold your mistakes against you. When your spouse tells you the truth not to harm you, but to help you. And I have to say it, you've seen that love in Jesus Christ, your Lord. You see it every day in him. His love is your redemption and mine. His love is your peace and mine. His love is an example to you and to me, and his love is power. Which is why he can look at stumbling disciples just like you and me. He can assure each of us, your sins have been forgiven. And then he can say, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, Jesus says, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. 1 Corinthians 13, love. At first sight, that's not enough. Love that always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. At first sight, it sounds enchanting, but it doesn't seem to deal with reality very well. At second sight, it's like this mirror and we look at it and we say, Oh, Lord, I confess my lack of love, my failure to do that. At third sight, we see in 1 Corinthians 13 the love of our Heavenly Father and the love of Christ, and we realize that is awesome for us. And then we look at it one more time at fourth sight, and we realize That's the Lord, that's the love that the Lord wants each of us to desire. Pray for that. When you're praying for faith, pray for love. When you're praying for peace, pray for love. When you're praying for hope in the midst of adversity, pray also for love. Strive for it, desire it greatly because of all the, the virtues that the Lord gives Of all the gifts that he gives, St. Paul puts it pretty plainly, the greatest of these is love. Amen.